and we're back. Welcome to No Direction, the Pathfinder news, reviews, and interviews podcast. I'm Vanessa Hoskins. And I'm Luis Loza. And I'm Mark Seifter. <laughs> we have Mark here today. Uh, now, Mark, you're usually, uh, your official title right now is is the role for combat uh, director of game design. Is that correct? Yes, this title is yes. right. Yes, <laughs> <Not> in one. <laughs> Uh, but you're you're joining us today as one of the uh, the creative team, a freelancer on this book, Book of the Dead, um, and a uh, and a designer an on the book. Author, but not a freelancer. Technically, an author, but not a freelancer. Okay, yes, great. And a great. designer. <laughs> Someday I'll get this right. Uh, fantastic. And hopefully have fault. some. Sorry about that. <laughs> I hope you have some fun uh, insider knowledge for us on here, um, which is great. Uh, so we have this wonderful opportunity. Uh, Paizo has allowed us to preview, to sneak preview the first chapter of Book of the Dead, uh, which I'm especially excited about because it's all the fun player options. Yeah. And I play far more than I GM these days. So I'm like, Ooh, what can I build to this? Asterix. It is all the fun player options for hunting the undead. There are also player options for being undead, but yes. they're not in this chapter. Correct. Okay. So yes. Thank you for the, the clarification. Options, but not all. I guess for me, it's like it's the fun player options I'm more likely to be able to play, unless you happen to be in a super cool undead specific campaign where you're a bunch of like you know gebites trying to fight against those horrible people in Nex or something. You you know like <laughs> you know the geb AP coming out. <laughs> oh, and I hear No Nuts has chapter two. He's doing Wednesday, so that's oh, great. Nice. So yeah. between between no nats <laughs> and no direction, you're gonna get all those player options. Oh geez, okay, that's very cool, very cool. Um, one thing that's just like stood out to me reviewing this first off is this art. Uh, it is uh, Kira or Kyra, depending on what part of the world you're from, uh, just obliterating <laughs> a skeleton with her holy symbol and a bunch of like divine light, and it's it's amazing. She's one of my favorites, and just watching her destroy this thing which we were discussing before we went live. It, it, it was dropping a sword, so it's at least a champion. We yeah. don't know if it has it a name a and a unique tag. <laughs> it, could, it could be a really powerful skeletal-like creature. Like, we just don't know. Uh, who doesn't wear armor because they're a nudist? I mean, we don't know. The real question is <laughs> Kira or Kyra and why? I think it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. It seems us oh, okay. West Coasters are, are saying Kyra and over in the East Coast, they say. Ah, but I was from the East Coast originally and in Boston, True. a lot of us said Kyra. Uh, and the I... reason, reason we did that <laughs> is because there are characters like Akir, Al-Hakam and certain other ones that use an I um, hmm. that are also Kalashite and tend to use an eye so mark it's just because you were fated to make it over to the west coast and oh that's Isaac. what it was anyone who says kyra is fated to come to the west you <laughs> might be right maybe because i'm i'm originally from california and i still speak like a californian and so oh, there you well go. maybe my <laughs> maybe people is... who moved to the west coast say <laughs> kyra <laughs> that could be i did move to the west coast so hmm. i don't know Oh my gosh. Well, let's let's get right into it uh, because folks I'm sure are just waiting to see the sneak preview and I'm waiting to share it to them. So let's do it. Oh, yes. uh, so we good. start we start with chapter one, Prayers for the Living. That is what we're looking at. Uh, it is a nice introduction. Um, it's actually more than a nice introduction. It's a super cool introduction. The whole intro and it is all like firsthand account by Geb himself. Mm -hmm. uh, which is covered. I didn't realize it originally, but it's covered um, in the beginning um, in the uh, in the what is it, the forward um, 
and it talks a little bit about like, hey, I wrote this and it's like a, the preface, excuse me. It talks about all the different chapters and like each chapter is written with the idea that it happened at a different time in Geb's life, like all these different writings or or unlife uh, as Geb has like pinned all these different manuscripts and then stuck them all together in Book of the Dead. So that's kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing. Yep. And he put comments in the preface, like for our chapter, Prayers for the Living, he wrote that before he died. So yeah. his his modern comment that he wrote in the current year about it is, Read these passages as you would the writings of any youth, still swollen with life, bold in ignorance. I claim wisdom beyond my capacity. My death mm-hmm. changed many things. Though the basics on the workings of the undead remain true, I like perspective. Undead in the opinion of my younger self were still a danger to be approached with caution. This is an opinion I've grown beyond, as should the reader. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's all sorts of great stuff in here. Um, I threw a meme up on my Twitter account uh, that is like one of these lines about whether or not undead eat and why they don't need to, but like they still get really hungry and like all this. And I did it to the Breaking Bag one where it's like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> it's just, it goes on and on about it. And it's it's too good. And the whole thing is like that. What I said uh, to someone earlier is it's like the perfect type of pedantic, right? It's the kind of pedantic conversation about some nerdy role-playing game thing that I imagine having at the pow- uh, the, the couch at PaizoCon or at a Denny's after a, you know, a late session or something. Like it's the kind of thing you all sit around about. Like when you have alignment discussions, you're like, no, this shouldn't exist and that's this way. And, uh, it feels like it, uh, a John and Thirsty conversation, John Compton and Thirsty conversation. I will yes. like, catch wind of <laughs> while walking past <laughs> a couch at PaizoCon. Gab is very much a pedantic academic and you know he's kind of a tech bro for necromancy a little bit oh my gosh and so like he has a whole section in here um so mysteries of unlife is sort of his publication that's right at the beginning right after the introduction that just talks about like what are what are undead like how do they work according to Geb who is completely biased so there's a whole section in there that is basically like the equivalent of climate change denial, except about the thing where Phrasma says that if you create undead, it's destroying the universe little by little, where he's basically like, she's just jealous of Ergothoa. <laughs> According to numerous records, you know, yeah. uh, Ergothoa got out of this and Phrasma just decided sour grapes that it was bad. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Other um, people shouldn't do this just because she did it. Like, you know, she should like, do an exception, not the rule. Except it. it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's it's not hurting anything. Yeah, he says, surely if undead were having such a deleterious effect, one could find a shred of evidence to prove it. And yet there's none. So he's like, you know, you can't prove that it's that doesn't do that. So therefore, the idea that undead and undead mm-hmm. are unraveling reality exists purely in the realm of mere speculation and blind faith does not <laughs> merit real consideration. So it's like, it's very much channeling those kind of ideas and mm-hmm. opinions, but it's just from the okay. necromancer's perspective. We mostly read things from the perspective of like Phrasma or the good guys, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and like the way he just goes and talks about different places, uh, he talks about these um, different parts of the world that dispose of their dead through uh, cremation or some other means. And then he goes on to be like, most civilizations seem to regard the destruction of their dead as disrespectful uh, to their ancestors, as if leaving them vulnerable to reanimation shows greater reverence. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, sure, leave them vulnerable. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> it's just like, it's great. 
Um, I had been taken by this entire beginning. I was reading it and just laughing boldly out loud because of how uh, immersive it is. So bravo to whoever wrote this because it's just, it is a beautiful piece. Unfortunately, I do not remember who wrote almost anything in that is okay. Book of the Dead. <laughs> Um, I think I think we are going to try and uh, and and get one of the the folks on here after release to talk a bit more about the book as a whole, and I will definitely pin them down to figure out who the author of that first bit was because yeah, it I'm is. I'm pretty sure Jessica wrote some of the some of the stuff that's in this chapter, like the archetypes and something else, because mm -hmm. she and Jason wrote a lot of the book overall. Jason maybe wrote some of the items that were in here, and then I want to say that maybe um, Michelle and Brian wrote some of the other archetypes, but I can't remember who wrote that intro and it is fantastic. Very cool. I, um, I really like, um, I mean, we've already seen this with, with Secrets of Magic, you know, the, the in-world writings. And in this particular case, it's not several different spellcasters of, of different varieties. It's just one voice throughout, which, yeah means you get to kind of learn a little bit about Dev's personality. He's obviously mm -hmm. very biased, as we've mentioned already, but also like just what a snob he is. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, oh, his so, snob stuff is great. He has yeah, a great so snob game. Th these are fun to read, and I look forward to getting to read the rest of the chapters um, mm -hmm. and just getting all, all of the, the, the insetting text from, from him, especially, I assume, some snarky notes here and there. Oh, right. like he—he's not—he's not as snarky as some like super snark characters. He's more—he's a pedantic academic, but he will—he will throw shade. So, for example, oh, yeah. if you want, if you want to see oh, yeah. um, Eric Mona's favorite line in the book, um, oh goodness, there's there's a thing I added in during I, I guess my development pass or copy fit into the Hunters of the Dead section mm -hmm. in Knights of Last Wall, where um, Gabby explains Knights of Last Wall to you. Um, oh no! The Knights of Last Wall are found primarily in the Gravelands, where they struggle to rescue the living and destroy the undead hordes that roam the region. This is a significant improvement from the Knights of Ozum's te previous tendency to invade sovereign <laughs> nations without provocation, while ultimately failing to defend the one location whose defense defined their existence. <laughs> oh my god. That's his favorite, because... Yeah, they did. No, it's they good. totally failed to defend. Like their whole thing oh, yeah. was, we're going to defend, uh, you know, Gallowspire and stop the Whispering Siren from breaking out, and they didn't. And they totally and they attacked, didn't. quote, invaded quote sovereign nations, uh, aka right. Geb, Geb, the nation of Geb. Uh, mm -hmm, and there mm -hmm. was no provocation. They just kind of went in there. So I like, guess, eh, like it's a bunch of undead. It might yeah. be a good idea to go down there. Existing and being a bunch of undead was the only provocation. Right. Oh my gosh. Please red mantis info. They're telling us red. There's there's not oh, there's oh, no, wait, no red. There might like no. I don't think red mantis info is in Hunters of the Dead. There, these are mostly things that yeah. do a higher percentage of undead killing than the red mm -hmm. mantis. Sure, you might kill an undead with red mantis, but it's not like the big deal. They've got the art lords of Nex. There's a lot of shade in um, oh my gosh, so art lords of Nex, where it's basically like. They're a group of spellcasters who studied from Nex. This makes them the most dangerous kind of practitioners. Incompetent magic users, no threat to anyone, you know, because they're so incompetent. If you're right. really competent, then you have the knowledge of how and when to use power. But with Nex's notes, the Arc Lords are just competent enough to be a threat while incompetent enough to be dangerous to enemies and allies alike. <laughs> so, 
The the network's own Dustin Knight, Katsuni Warlock, does mention that the Red Mantis sometimes do hunt undead, and they had an they entire sure prestige class in Pathfinder First Edition. So they have a lot of prestige classes in Pathfinder First Edition, and they definitely do sometimes hunt undead. But it's yeah. not like it's not like their core competency. If I remember the the mm -hmm. Pathfinder First Edition uh, prestige class correctly, uh, it was more of a like we're doing undead hunting things. Let's do a um, let's do an extra thing in the big red mantis section uh, in adventurer's guide that also mm -hmm. uh, that also hunts undead in addition to like a lot of other sure. red mantis options it probably wouldn't yeah. be like the first second well death slayer was the one and if yeah, i death recall slayer, and, right? and and maybe if, if dustin maybe if you're looking at it death slayer was about like contracts on undead creatures yeah. of like hey this person has escaped death's embrace go get them and make sure that they don't come back i think that's um, right since the red mantis do have maybe not quite a monopoly but a a large percentage of the i can kill you and you will never come back or be raised abilities mm -hmm. so and like it, it's not that they don't hunt undead it's more that their other abilities wouldn't have worked on undead from the other mechanical versions and right. under first edition but right. they do hunt undead sometimes so they needed sure. they needed a new prestige class so it would work on undead oh. gab is mostly focused on ones that are like our goal is fighting against the undead, like the Church of Phrasma, Arc Lords of Nex, Bright Lions who are fighting against Walkina in Mizali, uh, the Knights of Last Wall, like Gloom Warders from Shenmen and Tiansha, like groups mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to look at because it talks about Hunters of the Dead, but because it's all from Geb's perspective, it's it's sort of twisted. Um, but again, this is like super useful if you were to play like a Geb type book or, you know, a Geb type um, adventure rather, uh, and wanted to start steeping yourself in sort of the propaganda of Geb and what was happening there to sort of get the correct point of view to play through that adventure path without without being like, well, the lights are not, uh, Knights of Last Wall are good people. And then you're like, oh, wait, actually, they're not. Not, not, not <laughs> I mean, if I'm from Geb. He actually says that they're, that, you know, they're more admirable than their previous well, version. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> more at, <laughs> I mean, it's relative, you're like, well, the, the last ones just invaded sovereign nations and were total screw ups, but you know, these yeah. ones are better at least. He didn't call them pugnacious, <laughs> like the Voices of the Spire, this militant sect of Pharasmans who are dedicated right. to eradicating undead. <laughs> he didn't do that, that's true. He called that, them uh, puerile fools who make blatant acts of terrorism that now have Gev's full attention. Oh my goodness, this book. Yeah, it's fun. And just uh, like it's it's fun <laughs> to have the evil the evil overlord who won and created his nation is just telling you like what his opinion is on things. He's a horrible, yep. horrible person. Horrible person. Should not be admired in any way, but mm -mm. it is kind of funny to see how biased his takes are. That's awesome. Uh, Zerg Titan 99 asks, uh, they're planning on creating a skeleton liberator champion of Arasni, uh, who is a member of the Crimson Oath and has to hide his undead state from his peers. Anything useful for this? I imagine uh, undead character type of player options will be in chapter two. Uh, so Nonat's going to be covering true. that on Wednesday. Um, but this if is, you do want to just yeah. get things for fighting against the undead, you might sure. be able to find some that are in here some some of the archetypes for you but it's not gonna like vanessa yeah. said it's not gonna actually be related to being an undead and blocking people from telling that 
Right, exactly, exactly. Now, speaking of some of the options, let's start taking a look. Uh, there is a number of backgrounds. There's one whole spread dedicated to it, including some rare ones that are pretty cool. Um, a lot of the common ones are sort of what you would expect. Uh, you get a lore skill, you get a standard skill, you get a skill feat. Uh, but some, uh, but, but the flavor's really cool. I think that's um, what common ones always are. You're that's what common ones always are. That's what I'm saying. Definitely that's... not common if you aren't. So it makes sense. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like the common ones, all follow that, that very stereotypical formula. Uh, but some, the, the flavors are really neat. One of them um, that I liked a lot was Haunted Citizen, um, where essentially you're in a region where there's a lot of undead and people are kind of spooked um, all the time and living in fear because of all the undead around. And so you are either like wise or charismatic, uh, and you get the no cause for alarm skill feat along with diplomacy, um, which is kind of awesome because you're just it used to like sense. calming people down. You're like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's just a, just a, just a phantom. It's fine. They'll pass soon enough. Let's like it's fine, everyone. Compared to where I grew up, where yeah. vampires were preying on everyone, and there were like yeah. fifty ghosts that came out every night. This guy who just tried to demoralize you is not very scary. It's, it's fine. No yeah, thoughts yeah. for a lot. I, I know it was a loud shout, but it's 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 really okay. It's it's not like a ghoul horde like roving the streets <laughs> and and eating all the cattle, okay? Like it, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. Um so yeah, there's just that one. What's what's some of your favorite ones? I, Louise. I particularly <laughs> like the it's one of the rare uh backgrounds is willing host where mm -hmm. you can kind of just out of nowhere if you need to learn temporarily let's say temporarily be trained in a, in a particular skill and make a skill check with it so suddenly you're like i don't know how to pick a lock but we need to pick this lock and no one else can do it you can call upon the spirits around you and maybe one of the spirits will inhabit your body and help you out and teach mm -hmm. you how to do that uh and you can make your skill check and hopefully you succeed um yeah and regardless of what happens then that spirit is kind of got a minor bit of control and the gm decides hey you gotta uh pacify this you gotta honor the spirit for helping you out and they they will ask of you something and it adds a, a great role-playing opportunity and a mini quest that you have to handle for for calling upon the spirit yeah the spirit might be like you know what i haven't had in a long time apricots do you have any apricots i am I got a hankering for apricots and you're like well now i'm now i'm just craving apricots the rest of the day if there's any way we can get some um it reminds me a lot of uh in pathfinder first edition the medium had an ability that was kind of like that where you could yeah. gain skills depending on what spirits you were channeling and it was really reminiscent of that so i thought that was pretty cool yeah it's definitely medium like like the idea of being a host for a spirit is kind of yeah. it kind of is a medium it didn't use the word medium uh sure but yeah absolutely all right cool uh let's see so another one uh some of them are as simple as like grave robber <laughs> yeah i mean or you night watch you go out at night and they're undead there <laughs> yeah yeah grave robber i thought was funny um because it says adventuring comes naturally to you in your mind dungeons are just oversized to tombs as returning <laughs> home with your loot undetected so it's like yep it's whatever <laughs> doesn't matter this is a dungeon eh, it's like a big tomb i'm just gonna take the stuff they're not using it anyway not all of them are sketchy though coranderos <laughs> try to help their community yes <laughs> are we only pointing out the sketch ones i guess we had like i guess haunted citizens aren't necessarily bad but like they're like in a bad situation and true uh grave robbers and necromancers apprentices but there are some like just generally 
beneficial ones too. And there's a rare one where you're in a lineage of undead slayers called Scion of Slayers. You know, to every generation, there's born a slayer. Every generation, there's a slayer. Uh, That one's super cool. You get athletics, you get undead lore, everything you might need to fight undead. But more importantly, you get disrupt undead as an innate divine cantrip, but can use intelligence. Math lady gif. Um, But it's just super cool because you're like, oh, and it says you can use intelligence and it's innate. So I imagine you could use charisma. Yeah, if you don't want to use intelligence, you would normally use charisma. Right. And there's Tombborn where you're like kind of part a very little bit of being all white, possibly because oh, gosh, yeah. of your parents being really super sus when they conceive <laughs> you. And so once per day, you can do a reaction like a white can where when you go to zero hit points, you're like, I'm taking you down too. And you make a strike just before going unconscious. Yeah. So if you're like Alhara from Roll for Combat and your health yo-yos every battle, that might be really useful. It's a whole extra, whole yeah, extra attack. Once per day, you'll have to, if you're, <laughs> if you yo-yo every battle, you'll have to ask your GM for like a, um, a special like feat that you can take at higher <laughs> levels to get it once per hour. Because <laughs> if you, if you, Please. if you go down that much, you might need it more often. I, like, she, I figure once per day should be enough, right? Because hopefully you don't, drop that many more times than once a day oh my gosh that's funny uh very cool um any other ones you want to point out while we're here or we make people wait i think we pointed them all out except higher tender so i'll just say that and uh, <laughs> okay that's true now that i'm looking through it you're right uh pyre tender is what it sounds like you're the person who lights the pyres and you're really good at alchemy because <laughs> you know how to douse those pyres and get them lit fast uh, there's a ton of good gear in here. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk about gear for a while. Look at this art. Look at this pretty stuff. We have Swirly Potion. We have, of course, a Saren Ray, a holy symbol that does super cool stuff. We have some special perfume. Nope, that's not perfume. That's for ghosts. And a scary little skull ring. Let's talk about them. Uh, Louise, what was the one that jumped out at you that you were like, oh, oh, I know. Uh, I know a character that's buying that. So the thing that was most interesting to me, it, that there's actually three pages of, of items, so it goes over to, to the next spread. Um, but there's a whole new material uh, called Peachwood, which is like dark wood, but focused on, on, on dealing with undead. And there's not much explaining where, where Peachwood comes from. There's a hint in one of the, the other items, the, the Celestial Peachwood Sword, which mentions that it comes from a now, a now extinct Celestial Peach Tree. So there mm-hmm. was some very, very special tree where all the Peachwood comes from at some point. Uh, and this, uh, when, when used against uh, Undead as a weapon, uh, it lowers their resistances. So it makes it easier to, to fight Undead with, with Peachwood. And it's just really interesting to see a new material as a thing. I wouldn't consider, like, I wouldn't have thought personally, like, oh, yeah, when when I asked for undead gear, I'm sure I'll get, you know, potions and weapons and all this stuff. But getting a, a new material specifically for undead is actually pretty cool and pretty exciting. I think Zhangxi might be weak against Peachwood. Well, there you go. Even better. Or at least traditionally. Well, I think... I think they're weak against Darkwood because Peachwood didn't exist, and now Peachwood does. Oh yeah, does. that's right. Because so it, it, so it says it counts. Time, so it says it, it yeah. counts. Or it counts it as Darkwood for that creature. That's right. It's treated as Darkwood for Zhangxi because it should be, and then also, um, even if it doesn't have that as its resistance, it treats their resistance as being a little bit lower. Like if they have a resist silver, 
for example, then it treats that as being a little lower. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty cool new material. Um, one of one of my favorite things is uh, is this this perfume bottle, which is called an ectoplasmic tracer. Um, it, it's literally like a spray that you put on the ghost as they show up, and you're like ah, and they and you spritz them with it. And you know how like ghosts like to turn invisible and go through walls and do all sorts of stuff. This allows you to like better track it as it goes places and the ghost can get rid of it. They have to spend 10 minutes like scraping this ectoplasmic dye essentially off of itself so that you can't just follow and be like, ooh, little drops of ectoplasmic dye. We're heading the right direction. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great for like that moment where you're, especially if your GM likes to do those things where the ghost comes in and fights you or the spirit comes in and fights you. And then when it gets to low hit points, it like flees through a wall and you're like, well, where is it? And it has regeneration. So it comes back in five minutes or 10 minutes. And then you're like, ah, it's at full health and we haven't healed completely. Um, So it's great for that. And because you can just be like, you know what? We're going to track you down. I don't care that you ran. <laughs> We're going to find you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also like Peachwood, so I will agree with Luis <laughs> on that. Um, but I mean, there's other things in here, like there's um, alchemical yeah, okay. items too, like bottled sunlight, the alchemical item. Just in case you fight against a creature that's vulnerable to sunlight, they always take maximum damage from it, which is mm-hmm. handy. Uh, yeah. There's like a Dawnlight, which is a, like a special holy symbol of Saren Ray that is that can do some stuff for you. And some of these uh, items are found in the adventure chapter later on. So okay, cool. Um, there are two magic swords specifically for dealing with undead. Uh, one is that peachwood item you talked about. It is a blade formed with peachwood, uh, the now extinct celestial peachwood tree. Hmm. Uh, but it is a level seventeen item, and it is amazingly powerful. And there is also a level eighteen item, um, which is pretty darn strong. Uh, let me see. It is one's a short Final sword. Rest. Yeah, one's a short sword. One's a long sword. So I guess they're they're both swords. But ah, but yeah. It, um, you're do, if there's actually a third magic undead killing weapon, Lady Where? Spiral, the plus one disrupting striking. Whip. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, there's two swords and then seven, there's one two swords and one whip because I, you know <laughs> you've got to have somebody with a whip who can yeah. go fight a castle and a. <laughs> or something uh, especially if they have the scion slayers background and they come from right. a lineage of, yes. of monster yes. hunters they, wow. they, def- they definitely would um, this campaign writes itself mm-hmm. um no i just have one question then uh is there wall meat in here is that an item wall chicken yeah i guess <laughs> wall <There's>... chicken <laughs> there you go they can <laughs> come from the na- the known family bovale um, <laughs> actually there w- one could say there's kind of a wall chicken here uh, this really? is actually an item that I think is really interesting because of its story potential is the Feast of Hungry Ghosts. It's it's a magical meal. <laughs> oh no! Which, which includes meats. So that that could have originated from a wall. Yeah, could it be a wall meat? Um, and what it does is it it can entice a specific undead to come by and eat it. And if they eat it, you know, it takes them a while to eat it, but then they like you. They're like, ah, oh, this food's good. And it satiates that need to feed on like mortal flesh, right? Like, or yeah, or blood, or fear, or yeah, whatever it is whatever that it they. Is. Yeah. And and which is really interesting because in theory, you can keep an undead fed forever if you have enough wall chicken. I mean, feast of hungry ghosts <laughs> uh, to 
which leads to an interesting story implication, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. you have a friend who turns into an undead and you need to keep them from hurting other people and you have to keep making these feasts or finding these feasts while you also try to like, you know, bring them back to life or, or rid them of their, their undead state. Um, yep. And it yeah. even feeds the incorporeal undead. So you can feed a ghost like this um, or, or a, a banshee or anything like that. And right. the, the higher level version feeds up to four people. So you can have four wall chickens at a time. And it costs less than four times as much. Now ask your GM if you're able to randomly have a chance to find this feast of hungry ghosts every time you break down a portion of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They probably won't let you. They but is there any won't. way to feed your undead friend if you can? Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I think that's most or all the items uh, on the main page. Oh, there's yeah. life salt, which is fun. Um, salt is, of course, a, a big piece of a lot of different bits of lore where it can contain spirits and such. So now we have weaponized alchemical salt. You can do Pretty persistent cool. positive damage to undead. It's particularly good if they have a weakness to undead. Yes. A weakness to undead? A weakness to I mean, positive. a weakness to positive damage. Obviously, they don't <laughs> oh. have a weakness to undead. They are undead. Um, I but like some I zombies have a really heavy weakness to positive damage. So yeah. you could just throw this on them and then watch as you run away and they just constantly take a bunch of positive damage from this. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting is, and I misspoke before, it's not alchemical salt. It is simply divine, holy, consecrated salt. Mm -hmm. uh, but that also means it's not an alchemical bomb. Uh, it just you, works as a simple thrown ranged weapon instead yep. of a martial weapon. And they also can't attack you if they fail a will save uh, unless you take a hostile action. Yes. So you really can just watch them kind of just dissolve potentially if they fail. Yeah, it's save. pretty darn cool. Um, and that's most of the stuff. There's uh, also some there. folk remedies, but they're not really like items. They're more of like cool stories about different... Yeah beliefs that people have and superstitions against undead including salt yes why, why, why it works apparently um it, it would be it, it it protects against rot and i think that's mm -hmm. an interesting explanation as to why it works against yeah it's yep. it's a preservative so therefore yeah it's pretty cool because in 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 old cultures like right you would put in the salt and rot and all the um like the manifestations of death would seem to be pausing and so that's why they felt like in those kind of stories and tales that salt might stop those kind of creatures <laughs> very cool um i also i like that it mentions mirrors how vampires are repulsed by them and other undead like revenants are mesmerized by them so it talks about the use of of mirrors or mirror like wind chimes uh somewhere to mirrors to protect yeah, mirrors are really big. Raven feathers is also very cool, especially if you're up in the north where there's a lot of a lot of those types of animals around. Do you I know mean, where the thing about mirrors and pieces of creatures being missing, like a vampire was big enough that it won uh, a creature that was the missing reflection of a vampire in the mirror won the grand prize at RPG Superstar this year. So it's <laughs> definitely a a strong concept. Yes, that's true. Do, do you know where that? Um... So the bit about vampires not being able to see the reflections of mirrors originated from in folklore? No, please I'm tell us. Sure where it um, a, a lot of mirrors originally used silver as their reflective medium. And silver is tied to a lot of things in folklore where like, oh yeah, silver hurts 
evil creatures and stuff like that. Because it's a like result, a pure and holy metal. Yeah, exactly. Right. And as a result, because you're looking into a mirror made of silver, a vamp- it wouldn't work on a vampire. Oh, that makes sense. It does make sense. Very cool. Uh, so that's most of the folk remedies. There's some other ones it talks about. There's but running there's, water. Yeah, there's just a lot of really good um, story information. Like I'd say this this particular page is really great if you're a GM running a campaign uh, with Undead in it and you want to give some local flavor or have some ideas that might spark for a, a custom magic item from your game. But there's a lot of really good information here that I think just, just gives a world uh, a bit more depth. Or if you're a character who wants to block against yeah. undead and you're you want to talk in the opposite of like Geb talks as the undead tech bro, you want to talk <laughs> as like the anti-undead person and you're like, okay, well, we'll put Rowan and Willow to guard your house. And you're you're saying something that you didn't just make up yourself right. because you have some ideas and examples. Yeah, like I, I really like the idea of the raven feathers. I think those are cool. Just like, oh, there's some raven feathers like, you know, down on your uh, attached to your belt that you can just pull up and have a, like a little feather duster made of them. But, you know, you can use it to maybe brush something off before you touch it just to, just in case there's angry spirits about, you, you know, cleanse them and clear them away. Um, things like that are just really fun flavor ideas, just really fun um, details to give a character and really bring them to life. Pretty cool. Uh, there's, of course, a bunch of really cool archetypes in here that I th- are very hype. Um, they're all dealing with undead and somehow or uh, necromancy and the idea of undeath. And uh, they are dealing cool. with them in the sense of where deal is a euphemism for like not liking them. Whereas the well, ones that deal with them in a sense where the we yeah. like undead are in chapter two. True. These are all the, these are all dealing with getting rid of them as, you know, threats and problems. Uh, the first one, of course, is the uh, Exorcist. Exorcist is pretty cool. Uh, just like in the movie, there's no green pea soup in this book, but uh, <laughs> you are you are getting rid of malicious spirits out of uh, creatures and objects and things of that nature. the The really cool part of it is that they get a uh, they get a special device um, that they can channel their powers through um, that they call uh, a spirit dwelling. So the the example the book is like a mirror. Uh, but it could also be uh, like a locket or a bracer or, you know, whatever other sort of thing. As long as it's not already a magic item, it's its own thing. And basically, you can drop spirits in there. And more than that, there are like these little spiritual wisps, right? They're not full ghosts. They're not haunts. They're not whatever. But they're just like little remnants of spiritual energy that have sort of stuck around. And you can get these spiritual wisps every day and, and put them in that in that spirit dwelling and then use that like soothe their power or whatever and like pull from them and get abilities from it so you can heal other people or you can reduce damage that you might receive from like a haunt or like negative energy damage or something like that um and you're not sacrificing the spirit you're just like the spirit will use its power and then move on to the river of souls so it's pretty cool so you're actually helping it rather than destroying its soul you're actually helping it do something that you know it's not exactly the unfinished business it was thinking of but it's helping out and then it can move on yeah anyway this is the one that just really resonated with me um i as soon as i read this not only is the art super cool uh and i'm going to show that to you again uh but i just i i have built a couple characters that are like this like way back in first edition and really like the idea of like hey there's there's these spirits that don't want to be stuck on the material plane. They just like just are. They're stuck here, and then you get to go and and free them and like 
help them move on. And that's just very cool. Anything else, so, um, Mark, Louise, you want to say about this one? Do you want to go into detail about um, more stuff for that? Or should we do all of them after we do an overview? I'm going to go into more details. So one of the things that we did is we each sort of came up with a character concept based on the, the materials that are here and put it into practice. So I think uh, I will I will just spoiler alert. I chose the exorcist. Um, so I'm going to go into more detail when I talk about my exorcist. Uh, the next one up is the hollow necromancer. Once again, unsurprisingly amazing character art. Yes. The hollow necromancer is someone who knows that necromancy is not just creating undead. That's what everybody stereotypes necromancers as, as like these evil people who are like killing everyone and turning them into undead. But how necromancers know that, you know, the heal spell the clerics can cast is necromancy. Necromancy is the magic of life and death. And so therefore, um, they are good aligned spellcasters who use ne the necromancy to destroy undead. And they are very good at destroying them. It's anathema to them to, like, create, heal, or aid, or promote undead. But they're super good at it. And I will be... Um, I will be building a character uh, for you at the end that is a hollowed necromancer. So you've got um, you've got some <laughs> spells that other people might not have, like focus spells from various necromancy classes. You can get several anti-undead spells as necromancy spells that are usually, some of them are abjuration or evocation. Um, and even if they're not on the spell list that they would normally, you would need them to be on, you can resist negative energy and then eventually and this is crucial for the build that i'm going to be making you can have an aura that frightens undead that stay anywhere near you so you'll see my hollowed necromancer that it punishes undead for standing on hallowed ground very cool Luis, any thoughts i specifically didn't read the archetype i knew i wasn't going to be dealing okay. with because <laughs> i wanted i wanted to learn along with so one of the interesting things about <laughs> working at Paizo and Mark can speak to you know his time at Paizo is sometimes there's just so many books going on, you don't have enough time to read everything mm. uh, for work. Yeah. So this is one of the books that I knew like, oh, well, we're going to be looking at this for, for the show. I'm going to wait till then so I can have like a fresh idea of what this book is rather than like, no, like, oh, yeah, well, this is already coming and that's coming down the line. Like I, I get to kind of be uh, like a fan getting to uh, enjoy the books uh, as they're coming and i mean absolutely I a couple that's, a couple weeks early but yeah that's what linda does in our biased reaction videos too on our kmark because she generally hasn't really seen um that exactly whatever the book is that we're doing hmm. uh, maybe certain sections um if like the uh, character options team has had some comments or something like that but like not like in the full experience of experiencing sure the book. I, I wrote some monsters for book of the dead and that's all i know about about the book beyond what we're looking at now all right cool um all right well let's let's go on to the next one i it's think soul warden mm -hmm. which what? is an, it's a great archetype it happens to be the only one of the four archetypes that none of the three of us chose <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it's worse than the other archetypes <laughs> It mostly just means one of the others called out to, to each of us. So the Soul Warden is actually kind of similar, I think, in concept to the Soul Warden from Planar Adventures in that it is someone who is like protecting the cycle of souls. They can get a psychopomp familiar. There's a no-soy that gets special powers that other people's familiars might not be able to get. 
and they also are um typically they, they they pretty much always worship Phrasma or one of the psychopomp ushers uh, especially mm -hmm. barzak the passage who is a psychopomp usher who's so lazy that uh they need their followers their mortal soul warden followers to actually do the work of that they're supposed to be doing so, wow nice <laughs> yeah you can get some uh, some cool stuff that will give you a disrupt undead and you can get like a special spiral you can um you can wind up gaining additional divine spells such as heal uh which is pretty handy um, and then in addition to the stuff with your familiar that I mentioned before, um, you can break people out of possession or something that's trapping their soul, get them back into the cycle really, mm -hmm. really well. It's once per hour and it is a counteract, but it scales with your level. So it's always going to be like pretty top of the line counteract. And oh. then you, um, you can make a weird spiral that buffs you up against undead and eventually your allies as well. Yeah, that's really cool. The other thing I like on on this particular spread is they also then go into the soul cycle and really just sort of reiterate, you know, for us Pathfinder first edition lore nerds, uh, what we already knew about the cycle of souls starting in uh, the positive material plane and like what, you know, and how they sort of go through life and develop and are judged and then, you know, go back to the great beyond and, and how they uh, how they pass on through through Phrasma's judgment again. Uh, into the outer planes and it's it's just kind of cool to have the little refresher in there i think that's it's a perfect place to put it too when you talk about the soul warden so that a uh, a player making a character like this will be very familiar with the cycle um because yeah. so you need to know what, what the normal cycle is to understand yeah. what you're trying to guard right. and what you're trying to make happen so that you know why the other stuff is bad <laughs> and it's kind of perverting it. yeah and not just undead bad mm. You break soul. Mm. <laughs> that sounds like a barbarian that took this archetype. Barbarian. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's hard for a barbarian to do it. With like an int dump. It's just like mm. they're superstitious and they 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 use their you know their ability to break spells like I break soul now. Well, there is that cool barbarian uh build where you can do positive or negative damage yeah, spirit, with your rage. Spirit, um instinct. Yeah. Yeah, spirit, spirit instinct. instinct actually would be like is legitimately not a bad synergy for for this and then you take liberate soul mm -hmm. and you buff yourself up with spiral sworn to make this spiral that gives you plus one damage per weapon damage die against against undead yep um and then, and then you just, just go beat them beat them up you just rock them with power attack yep <laughs> very cool uh the next one i'm gonna let i'm gonna let lucas talk about yeah so the last archetype in this chapter uh which is the one i did read uh because hey wouldn't you know it this is a, the character i made a build for as well is the undead slayer it's the classic undead hunter it's your van helsings it's your belmonts it's your belnades i guess as well if you're in the castlevania it's it's the thing that spoke to me immediately. <laughs> I want to be a, a, a vampire hunter. I love Castlevania. I love those games. I actually had a 1E um, war priest build that was all about uh, worshiping Phrasma and destroying undead. I even got to play it in Wes Schneider's uh, Bastard Hall game one year at PaizoCon. So it was like the perfect place for that. But Undead Slayer is kind of what you expect. They're, they're all about 
destroying and, and fighting undead. But the particulars about this archetype is that you are just so good at it to the point where undead might even fear you in particular. They, they know that you're the one not to mess with. Like other you know, priests will come by and, and champions will come by, whatever. We'll just tear them apart uh, or, or you know steal their souls or whatever. But if the undead slayer comes by, you got to be careful. So, you know, initially the, the dedication uh, gives you just a bunch of lore, uh, trains you in two different undead lore. So you can be like, I'm really good against vampires and ghosts or whatever, you know, you choose that. Mm. Uh, and then anytime you roll initiative, if you can see a creature that's clearly undead, you can recall knowledge for free as part of that. And you're just always knowing what 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 to do when, when dealing with undead. And later, as you progress into the archetype, you can do things like give yourself resistances to... Um, saves against necromancy which you know come into play a lot against necromancers who might be what? creating undead uh you could create you have a, a special strike your slayer strike which is really good at, at dealing um extra damage against undead and you can add additional riders like ghost uh, touch and, and things like that later on and they're also kind of ready for any battle uh they have a feat called the hunter sanctum where you designate a specific area as, like this is the place where i gather all my mm. tools this is my bat cave if you will uh, of gathering all, all, all my undead <laughs> fighting things and that can be you know in the, in the basement of a church it can be up in your library i imagined like a, a wagon that which yeah. is your, your you know your mobile home with with all your undead fighting if you're always moving around to find new undead and there's uh, a feat you can take that lets you kind of just have whatever you need at the ready the gear up feat which uses the the fun um prescient planner feats from from apg to have things like oh i didn't pack my garlic today and you just kind of have it at the ready it turns out but you you, you thought ahead uh and it, it's great it's just kind of covers all the classic undead hunting uh feats and and it's any undead weakness or vulnerability too so like yeah. if the dm yeah. is like well you know what in in bestiary nine we found a new type of vampire that is only weak to like um the lichen that grows on <laughs> this one particular uh rock in the middle of nowhere it's like well uh does that cost less than the amount that i can get with present planner or present consumable because Whoa. that seems to be an item i need to deal with an undead's weakness or vulnerability so yep. i guess i yep. had that <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, this one's weak against running water. You're like, well, I happen to have several full water skins that we will squirt at this thing. <laughs> Let's do it. I happen My to have this mini of... keg of water. My favorite part of the archetype is in the sidebar where it talks about undead slayers in the inner sea. And it sucks about uh -huh. some places that do have them. But they say the occupation of undead slayer is illegal in Geb, where the undead citizenry see declaring yourself as an undead hunter as something similar to just declaring yourself a serial killer. Uh, but some of them makes sense. Yeah. reluctantly work as assassins to help undead, you know, eliminate their undead rival. But and others stay in the secret and just kill undead anyway. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, it's really cool. It talks about them being in Ustalav. Uh, talks like them being in. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this. Mza. Uh, Mazali. Mazali. Yeah, okay. That's, that's that's the city where the bright lines operate in the Mulangi expanse. Right. Whole... I can never pronounce it. There's like a hidden yeah. vowel there. Mazali. Yeah. There's a whole yep. adventure that deals with Mazali in the strength of uh cool. strength of thousands AP, which Undead Slayer probably isn't the best fit for that, but still I wouldn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but not considered there. illegal in Mazali because of the fact yeah. that 
the undead that Walkina brings around in Mizali, like most of those minions are not citizens. So mm-hmm. like therefore, like the idea that you might need to fight other undead makes it so it's not illegal, but it definitely if you're working with the bright lines to overthrow the government, that it's like <laughs> it's not illegal because you were an undead slayer. It was illegal when you started trying to overthrow the evil mummy king. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, Undead Slayer definitely seems like it'll be a popular archetype in this book just because of all the cool stuff you can do with it and how many like undead focused or pseudo focused games tend to be out there. Uh, It's a theme that you see a lot. So I think that'll be something that gets a lot of use from this book. Um, I don't know. Y'all talked about yours so much. I kind of skipped over Exorcist a bit. Um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Uh, Well, you can because you're describing your build too, I guess. So here's what I. That'd be the next thing. That would be the next thing. So so here's what I ended up doing. I grabbed a gnome, uh, mostly because the artwork looks gnomish to me. Um, I, I suppose I could also, yeah, it looks gnomish. Look at those, um, one of those eyebrows. I think that's a gnome, not, not a halfling. Because it's got yeah, a pointy ear in the eyebrow. And, and she's wearing shoes, which a halfling definitely would not. That's what I was going right. to say. The shoes right. really it's give it away. Well, she's got this mirror, which is pretty cool. Um, so I like that. I'll, I'll keep the mirror. Uh, but I had this idea for one who is like so connected with life, but then has sort of sympathy for for spirits and, and ghosts and things that got stuck. And so for her, she basically meets a friendly phantom early on who's who's stuck, not in the same way that ghosts and other spirits are. But the two of them uh, decide to team up because this phantom is trying to help spirits out, but doesn't have a lot of direct ability to do so. So she ends up becoming a summoner, uh, able to summon this phantom to her aid in order to help various spirits and such. And so she's gone around trying to do what good she can. Uh, so I did I did that as a build. Um, I gave her, uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not going into too much depth. I also closed the town she was in and don't want to have to find it again. Um, <laughs> Which background from this chapter did she have? Oh, that's right. Background. So I gave her a willing host because I think oh, that she, perfect. yeah, I think that she likes, like she's she's willing to, to talk with the, uh, the the spirits and stuff that are there um, and, and really see their side of things. I see her as kind of almost like a spirit advocate. So I can imagine this haunt that's doing something destructive, um, or, you know, like if there's a haunt on a bridge that keeps, you know, tossing carts off of it or something like that and scaring the horses. And maybe it was someone who's murdered here, but doesn't know how to express it. Cause it's, they're just a haunt. They're just stuck in this cycle of being thrown off the bridge. And so she can come up and be like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to destroy the haunt in some horrible way. I want to like relieve this, this spirit's pain. Um, and so she has a very uh, sympathetic outlook to how she goes about that. So I chose Willing Host, which, uh, like we were saying before, allows you to bring a spirit into you and get a skill check for a brief period of time uh, in exchange for sort of a minor quest. Uh, for Exorcist, uh, you, you have access at fourth level um, and trained in occultism. So, of course, being a summoner, she already has that. And uh, getting things like um, Cast Out, which is like, you, possess thing, leave. Uh, which is sort of exorcist bread and butter. Um, I would probably, if I'm playing in a free archetype game, go ahead and also grab a six level feat because there's two of them uh, called Spirits Absolution, which is the one that allows you to um, to recover hit points on things. So you can be like, oh, help help this person, you know, feel some kindness that you never got to do before. And then they're like, oh, yes, I did kindness. And they pass on to the river of souls. Uh, and I also like the idea that you can, you know, if you fight like a poltergeist, or a ghost or something like that, that you can um, collect the remnants of the spirit after you've defeated it in battle, 
uh, almost like Pokemon. Um, you can defeat it in battle and you can like store its essence in, in your little spirit dwelling in your magic mirror. Or um, I was also thinking it would be cool to have like a like I like the idea of a locket or like an amulet with like a little like crystal sphere or something because also here's the other cool thing the spirit dwelling glows when there's a spirit in there which is most of the time so really cool to have like a glowing amulet or something uh anyhow and then when you collect the piece from a haunt or an undead that rejuvenates that doesn't send the whole thing to the river of souls when you use it but it does send a little piece and you might be able to kind of gain a clue about how to permanently send it onward by doing that. So um, right. it engages you with the story instead of like getting you past it or bypassing Instead it. of whatever, you dealt a bunch of positive energy damage, it's dead, you don't care, move on. on. Um, like in the, in the case of my idea with like the bridge or whatever, you might defeat this haunt or overcome it and then store some of it in your spirit, spirit dwelling. And then when you release it, um, you get a little information. So maybe you get a flash of a picture of, of someone who was, you know, angry and grabbing you. And you're like, oh, that might have been the person who threw this person off the bridge. And so now you can start asking around, have you have you seen like a man so tall with like a beard? And then, you know, you hunt that person down and be like, you, you threw the woman off the bridge. And he's like, okay, I did it. And now the <laughs> spirit can be free because her, her killer was caught. And I just, I don't know, I think it would be a really fun really fun build to play. Um, I also gave her uh, all four of the main magic knowledge ranks um, and that feat, especially uh, focusing in occultism and religion, um, which made sense to me and got that feat uh, that I'm blanking on the name. Maybe y'all can help me where you, if you mess up on one, you can try the other. Um, the one where you're a member of the Pathfinder Society. And I you think so. Specifically with the scrolls under Crate and Chain, where yep. you, um, if you- I mean- um, where you, if you Maybe. Ma- make a mistake <laughs> on one of the two skills, you can roll it with the other skill. And, yes. um, obviously the DC is based on the I other mean, I would have skill, to which might not be my... but it might be for spirits, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's because to... of religion, both would be for spirits. So that would be a great yeah. use of that feed. That's what I was thinking. They'd yeah. Both so... be a good, they both be a really solid DC instead of like, mm-hmm. I pick cooking lore as my second one and it's like, okay. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure like what the DC, the gem would set for you no. to know about spirits with cooking lore. It would probably I'm going to really connect high. occultism and cooking <laughs> lore. I'm, I'm, I'm specifically trying to help spe- like dead chefs who never got to finish the greatest creation. Uh, it's a hyper specific purpose for this character, but it's really important to me. Very important. That's awesome though. Did you get, did you go for spirits anguish to do the attack or were you more focused on healing with spirits absolution and the kind of, don't work together since they both use the same resources. Yeah, I was a little worried about that. I like the the healing part. Uh, I built her up to level eight and I couldn't decide <laughs> before we started the show. Um, but I I don't know, I, I kind of like it. There's some neat uh, summoner level eight abilities if you're not doing free archetype, but if I'm doing free archetype, sure. I would definitely get it, so. There are some really tempting things at level eight summoner. And I know people have said to me before that I made too many feats they wanted on summoner is one, one of the things is like no there are too many good feats now it's hard to take archetype feats without free archetype uh-huh, uh-huh. so uh, yeah biscuit man 82 says that knowing about occultism and cooking means you'd know about wall chicken yeah how else would you know about wall chicken <laughs> I think that's the only way to know about wall chicken <laughs> you might need crafting as well <laughs> oh my god 
Oh my goodness. Um, cool. So Mark, what did you, what did you create? Okay. So we've got this hallowed necromancer and, um, I was originally looking at this art. I was originally going to go for human, but, um, you know, um, Luis and Vanessa had rare options and they convinced me I needed to, uh, or I should step up my game and pick something rare. So this is actually not a human. It's a dragon in human form who is an umbral dragon um, using the Dragon Ancestry book that I wrote that is coming out soon for Roll for Combat uh, and is taking a human form. And so umbral dragons are normally evil, but um, this particular umbral dragon is good, uh, was a necromancer's apprentice background and became an apprentice necromancer for an odd reason, which is umbral dragons have one food that they like to eat more than any other food in the world. And that food is undead. They love it. It's delicious. It's not that normally umbral dragons don't destroy undead because they think that undead are a problem or bad. They just like to eat the undead. So just this a delicacy. Undead, this umbral dragon apprenticed, um, apprenticed himself to a necromancer to learn how to create undead because it was like learning how to cook and also has like um, some additional lore to learn about cooking lore and is just very interested in cooking with undead. But eventually realized that undead were actually super like evil and that they probably must be destroyed, but that doesn't mean that they can't be destroyed by eating them. <laughs> and so um, this, um, this Hell Necromancer wants to basically beat undead and, and, and eat undead and um, create an area of hallowed ground that undead do not want to stand on. So in terms of ancestry stuff, I mean, I'm taking dragon stuff. I'm gonna, uh, I made a level 14 belt. So I am, I am oh, flying wow. okay. around if I want to be flying. I have the ability to deal um, force damage with my breath weapon against undead and it does additional damage. Um, and that's from being a dragon. If you want to do the human version of this guy, you can take like additional, you, you know, natural ambition, all the usual human versions of things. And it'll, <laughs> you it'll know, those fine. humans, those humans, you know how they are, you know <laughs> what the situation is. Um, mm -hmm. And so the main thing is at second level, I get hollow necromancer dedication. So that's going to be the hallowed ground focus spell. That's one of the bread and butter of my combo here. So with hallowed grounds, I create a 10 foot burst area where undead that are there when we, when we cast it, take at level 14 that is going to be um a six level spell so they take 4d6 positive damage and 4d4 good damage no save oh no basic fortitude save and then they become weak four to positive damage and my necromancy spells while in that area so that's pretty handy um and so i'm going to center it on myself now, crucially, I also took the 14th level feet Consecrated Aura, which gives me a 20-foot emanation Aura of positive energy that if undead end their turn there, they become Wake of Will save or against my spell DC, which is a very good DC, or become frightened, possibly frightened too. They do become temporarily immune if they succeed, but if they don't succeed, they'll just keep becoming frightened in there. So normally you, they want to go after the squishy wizard, but I'm just going to make this horrible for them. And if they actually can't handle it, I'll fly away. Um, not only that, but since I took sacred spells as a fourth level feat, I got to add chill touch, death ward, disrupt undead, disrupting weapons, holy cascade, magic stone, and sunburst to my spell list as necromancy spells. So I can throw a sunburst if necessary into the mix. 
And Thank if you. I'm planning on doing that at ground zero, I may give myself spell immunity to my sunburst or possibly wear like a backfire <laughs> mantle because um, yes, I won't take the positive damage from the sunburst, but that fire damage, I still don't really want to take 8d10. <laughs> Um, but it is kind of a build centered run having them come to me and then get wrecked. So or land in the middle of them. Yeah, like, just land hello. in the middle of them and just sunburst. Actually, you know, if I was already not in the middle of them, sunburst has a really long range. I can throw the sunburst and then land in the middle of them. So it just makes bad to worse for them. And so that's basically the situation. Another handy thing is the eight level feet advanced hallowed spell while it gives me a, either an advanced death domain um, spell to eradicate undeath or the advanced necromancy spell life siphon. Um, the handy thing about that is that even though I could have literally gotten life siphon from wizard, oh, because I am a wizard. Um, I'm a necromancer wizard. Uh, I can use it to get, to like finish off the archetype if I want to also be dabbling in a different archetype for whatever reason. And so I take that and then I take it with, I've also taken quicken because you you know you want to have that ridiculous Nova turn with Quicken. Now, the real tricky thing is that at level 14, when I took Consecrated Aura, if I'm not in free archetype, that does it does have a significant drawback because there's some good stuff at level 14. For example, the ability to get two focus points back when I um, refocus, which, you know, when I'm making these bad zones, it's a focus spell that makes the, um, the hallowed ground areas. Or um, potentially um, the ability to do a superior bond while I'll be able to recover a fifth level spell as well if it's necromancy. So if I have free archetype, I can take one of those too. If not, then that's fine. Uh, I, I want my aura. It's hilarious. And so um, basically, yeah, that quick and casting, all the things I said from the um, from the archetype. And that still leaves me, I think, one other slot to go for whatever kind of utility thing I want to have. Maybe spell penetration, because some kinds of undead have annoying things that give them a plus one status bonus to saves or against positive. How dare they? So we might want to get rid of that. Yeah. No, that sounds like a very effective build as you just flying around and nuking undead into nothing. Yeah, exactly. And just make it so that they're punished for staying near me, and then they might yeah. not. And then in that like, case, run after the fine. squishy wizard. Never mind. Run away. If Don't the, be near they, the squishy wizard. If my aura never does anything to them, then I've already, I'm already happy because I, I, I kind of, in the net, didn't want them to be next to me because sure. I'm a squishy wizard. So right. as long as they're thinking twice about that instead of like, oh, no, I'm going to charge the wizard and wreck the wizard, then I think I've, I've done a good deterrence. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it reminds me of some of those. There's various builds. Uh, for some reason, I can only think of the Starfinder one. There's like a Starfinder Solarian build where you, if you hit me, I do fire damage to you. But also I have the armor upgrade that if you hit me, I do lightning damage to you. So if you hit me, <laughs> I just do a bunch of damage to you automatically. Uh, and it's like, I don't care what my armor class is because you're not going to want to attack me anyway. <laughs> You'll do it once and be like... that if you miss me, it did cold diamonds or something. It was oh, like, that'd be you, even be you're, better. You're, you're in trouble no matter what. Yeah, yeah it's like, yeah, if, if you if you hit me, fine. I, I, sure, I'll take some damage, but you're going to take a bunch back, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, it reminds me of one of those types of builds where it's like, sure, sure, come at me. You mm -hmm. know, let's see what happens. <laughs> Luis, uh, what did you end up designing? Uh, so I guess I made the frontliner for our party. Yes. In a sense. Uh, <laughs> I looked at the art for the Undead Slayer, which is actually um, a, a, I guess I, in my mind, they are a promoted piece of art from uh, a 
piece of Duskwalker art in Lost Omen's Ancestry Guide. If oh, okay. On like page 30 or so in that section, uh, there's this character again, um, but in that piece of art, they're wielding like a dagger in one hand and a gun in the other. I kind of imagine them as a gunslinger, but I don't think that's going to work because, you know, Undead Slayer wasn't the thing I necessarily had in mind when that piece of art was ordered. Uh, <laughs> so let's tweak that a bit. Instead of being a gunslinger, we're going to go with Ranger. And what I know of that art is that is technically a halfling Duskwalker. So that's, of course, my ancestry and heritage that I had to pick. Um, you can tell they're a halfling because their feet are exposed. Uh, the opposite of our gnome friend. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's what they look like. <laughs> um, and uh, the, this character, you know, for a halfling, very good at dexterity, uh, or at least kind of easy to be more dexterous. Uh, so we're going to go with that. And I'm going to go with 10 levels uh, of of a build because that's what i do on legend lore we always do up to level 10. Um, very cool uh so that's what i'm used to so i mean, <laughs> well, you picked the archetype that only has feats up to level 10 up so to 10th level it worked perfect. out perfect perfect uh, so we wait but there, wait, wait there's four feats for level four and yeah. two feats for level six you can kind there's... of make your undead slayer however you want if you prefer having like a cool layer to return to you can do that if you prefer Kind of having the resistance and helping people out with medicine and stuff, you can do that too. Also, so one of, of them's a skill feed, so you can take that in addition to the rest. Okay, that's true. That's true. Uh, but still, there's so many. Okay, there's a lot. So um, <laughs> we're we're a halfling, we're a duskwalker, so that's our heritage that gives us low light vision. And I took as my first level ancestry feed, I took grave sight, which just gives us dark vision. That's perfect for going off to hunt undead. You want dark vision. Mm -hmm. um, and as a first level ranger, you get a class feed. And that can't be your dedication feat. So I guess I'll take twin takedown. I've imagined them fighting with uh, two daggers, two Van Gosh's, maybe probably dedicated to Phrasma in some way. Oh, wait, no, they definitely are. I, I had a little story. Um, oh, okay. Um, I, I named this character Lamira Two Blades because she has two blades. Great. Oh, very uh, nice. But the idea was that maybe she was a halfling that was a citizen of Last Wall, maybe dedicated to, you know, looking out and, and protecting Galarian, uh, preventing, you know, the whispering tyrant from escaping and failed utterly and completely and died in the process you know died with with most of last wall but Phrasma took pity or, or maybe saw potential in Lamira and brought her back as a duskwalker and now is dedicated to continuing the hunt uh, of undead that are now roaming the gravelands and stuff um so yes she fights with, with two blades with Mangosh in, in each hand so then she can use the parry trait on those to give a little extra AC as needed, uh, is a flurry focused ranger. Great. That all makes sense. And then all of our rest of our class feats are going into undead slayer. So that's say bye <laughs> to, to, to ranger at that point. So at second level, we're, we're taking the undead slayer dedication, which you kind of need. Um, they are very wise rangers, you know, good at wisdom and, and perception and stuff. So that means we're going to be pretty good at religion and i also made her particularly charismatic to give her intimidation and diplomacy um and when we go into undead slayer let's go into skeleton lore and zombie lore that seems good enough right that's where you start off at second level is fighting skeletons <laughs> and zombies um and at fourth level i gave her the slayer strike which gives her bonus positive damage as a, a special big strike so she can either rush in and do her twin takedown and hit you with two blades or do a particularly undead destroying uh, attack and then at six level is one of the the coolest feats i think uh in this archetype 
which I didn't talk about earlier, which is Frightened Undead. You spend an action and you attempt to demoralize an undead, but you can swap out religion for intimidation on that and in turn potentially mm. affect mindless undead. It, mm -hmm. it, if they have, it loses the emotion and mental traits for your demoralized. Okay, I see. Um, and basically your faith is so obvious to undead that it can even frighten them, which is pretty interesting because most undead are, it's really hard to frighten undead. Uh, so you are scary enough to, <laughs> to scare an undead and that's great you know lower attack bonuses lower ac and all that stuff um at eighth level i took gear up just because i love the idea of having that holy water when you need it or having the stake oh yeah or whatever at any time and um at 10th level i took slayer's presence which says when you do your kind of free knowledge uh recall knowledge when you roll initiative you can also frighten undead as part of that so oh if you see an undead and you get into a fight, you can just immediately start freaking them out. And if you critically <laughs> succeed and you're a higher level than them, they start fleeing. They're scared. They know who you are. Jeez. Oh, uh, They're like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. It's oh, that crap. guy. Oh, crap. It's Lamira Two Blades. She's got two blades. Um, <laughs> and That's uh, two more than I have now that Kyra disarmed my, yes. my little sword. Um, in uh -huh. addition to... Um, to all the class feats. Um, Duskwalker has got a lot of cool stuff going on. At fifth level, I took the life sense feat, which lets me detect the presence uh, of life or unlife. So I can notice when there might be creatures about, probably undead if that's what I'm hunting. I can't tell the difference, but I know that there's something nearby. And mm -hmm. at ninth level, I can get spirit strikes, which lets me uh, just tack on some extra cool stuff um, for, for my strikes. I think I can get um, ghost touch and stuff. Uh, as I need. Cool. Um, if I remember right, let me double check. I don't want to. No, that's a lie. I lied entirely. Uh, <laughs> that's a different Dusklocker feat. Um, like, this you... is the one that get... my strikes are always magical and they okay. deal uh, either a point of negative or a point of positive as necessary. Oh, okay. Me. So I can always trigger um, weaknesses weakness. against yeah. undead, uh, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, and, you know, you can take other skill feats to do things like intimidating glare if you're going into intimidation i went into some medicine skill feats because i'm high wisdom medicine would be good i can help people that i rescue but another cool. thing i recommend is taking just additional lore a bunch of times and you can be mm -hmm. like oh now i have additional lore ghosts additional lore ghouls additional lore <laughs> vampires additional you know and because well, it scale scales automatically yes, yeah absolutely. that's like and, the best part of, a, of additional lore is just it's like sometimes when I'm building characters, my background lore is like, eh, it's fine. It's nice to have, but additional lore is the thing I really want to be a nerd about. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so you, it you makes sense know. that you didn't take Slayer's Blessing to be able to get through different like material problems when you're using Slayer's Strength, since you also have, you often are going to use your, you know, your two weapon ranger feed yeah. mm -hmm. and not Slayer's Strike all the time. Yeah. So it, it's, a very good build at destroying undead. And I think that's what the archetype was all about. So I yes. feel like I got a passing score on, on this. <laughs> very cool. Uh, Katsuni Wallach is asking, can you roll zombie lore for initiative against zombies? I mean, uh, if that, that is not what the Slayer's Identification does, but it lets you roll zombie lore during your initiative to right. learn In about. In theory, them. if you come up with a 
<laughs> good enough yeah. excuse i mean the GM, gm might allow you to roll anything against anybody but the architect doesn't say that yeah. you can always roll like, it against zombies right or i was studying this pile of bodies in case there were zombies with zombie lore mm -hmm. when one of them started moving so therefore i can use I mean, zombie if, lore like, for initiative seriously though if my player was investigating corpses for zombies using the investigating activity i probably would let them roll zombie lore yeah, yeah probably like that's what they were literally doing is using their knowledge of zombies to see if any of those things were a zombie right, that, right. that makes complete sense to me but as i i know that you use a ton of voice like it like maybe it was it was stretching for but i would give it to you if you were my player <laughs> there you go i mean in certain situations i think yeah i think yeah sure mm -hmm. but but you're right that's not specifically what that ability does is say oh you can always roll lore uh, but it lets you do it in addition so in that instance you could roll uh zombie lore for initiative and also a free recall knowledge so that's pretty cool mm -hmm. <laughs> all right great um i think that covers most of the sneak preview uh we're gonna do wrap-ups and shout outs right after oh and news, news pathfinder news yeah. we have plenty of things to talk about uh <laughs> right after a word from our sponsor kobolds are clever and mischievous but you ever thought of them as cuddly well you will after you see the gallant goblins kobold plushies coming to kickstarter on april 12th there are six colors and class combos planned with swappable accessories and clothing to create your own perfect adventuring party sign up for a kickstarter today at koboldplush.com to get a free digital one shot when you back the project that's koboldplush.com oh. <laughs> i think it's adorable it's cute <laughs> He's the cutest. Vanessa, um, do you have a cobalt voice? Oh my gosh, uh, I could try to do that. Hold on. Could, could the cobalt transition us to the Pathfinder news? Wrap ups and shoutouts. Oh no 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 news news. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pathfinder news. Um, Pathfinder news. Mm, Pathfinder news. Pathfinder news. <laughs> <laughs> now. Can we have a goblin voice so we can hear the difference between kobold voice and goblin voice? Oh my god. We need the new one. Pathfinder news! Pathfinder news! Pathfinder news! Okay, so the, news. the goblin voice has more of like more, kind of more that, throat. the throaty yeah. feel to it. Right, yeah, a little bit. Whereas versus the kobold's very like nasally because they have those big snouts, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I buy that. No nasal resonance. <laughs> All right, so we have a ton of news. Uh, Louise, tell us tell us what's been happening in the world of Pathfinder. Uh, a lot of stuff, uh, <laughs> but the biggest thing I think we would say is a thing that Mark hinted at earlier. Uh, RPG Superstar. Yes, we have our winners. Yep, all three of us were judges for RPG Superstar this year. Mm -hmm. You can find all of the winners on RPGSuperstar.com, including the grand prize winner, Kyralis, which, as I mentioned earlier, is the like a, a weird, almost two-dimensional creature that is like made of the reflections of monsters that don't have reflections and lives in some kind of maybe less dimensional in-between mirror space. So like that is just like, that is really cool. That was the grand prize winner, but that is not... To it's say really that cool. there weren't another uh, a lot of other like ridiculously good winners as a lot well. of strange and unusual yeah. monsters what that was the theme oh i see okay yeah <laughs> uh 
Uh, yeah, a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there was several of them that stood out to me as like, I want to write this in an adventure. Like I, I would read it and I would immediately come up with how to use it in an adventure, where it would go, what I would do. Is it like a supporting star that showed up for one encounter? Or is it the sort of thing that's like, no, this is this is going to be a force that drives the adventure. Um, and I, I, I don't have any of them in front of me because I was judging them, but I remember them. Um, you remember them. I remember them. I'm going to go hunt them down and look for them later. I have uh, them all here in front because I went to RPGSuperstar.com. <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart. Um, I like the ones that are like little fey that are like little acorns with like walnut seed wings. And they have these little communities and they're like, I don't know, they're just adorable. There's like little tiny acorn nut people. They're little like pre-dryad fey essentially. And oh, they're neat. just... I don't know if Freaking I judge that one. That seems really cool. They're so cute. Um, I was like, I have this idea for like a, a Faye adventure path. So every time one of the Faye one came up, I was like, oh, can I steal you? <laughs> You're so good. Um, but there was a lot of very cool Faye ones. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of like concepts as monsters, which was interesting. You mean like congealed laughter where it's like this laughter yes. is now a monster. That one platinum. Yeah. And it should have. It was really, it was. It was just a weird idea. And I mean, that was the whole theme, uh, but it was just such a cool, weird idea where you're like, oh, we have a lot of other themes where concepts or ideas or manifestations happen and they're usually terrible, right? And it's like murder becomes an ooze and you're like, yeah, fine. But uh, congealed laughter as, a, as an ooze was like, oh, that's that's weirdly terrifying. OK. Mm. <laughs> Especially as someone who often can't stop laughing. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely terrifying. There were there were a lot of strong competitors this yeah. year in RPG Superstar. There were over twice as many as last year. And um, even though more winners, uh, we had more winners this year, that still meant that it was it was much harder to make it into the winners this year than before. When you combine the fact that there were more entries and the fact that the entries oh, on the average got stronger, then people really were bringing up their game. And there are some in here that I know that like some of the judges uh, who, because uh, four of the judges were either at Paizo or worked at Paizo in the past, because I'm the one who worked at Paizo in the past, <laughs> and who were like, yeah, this is almost ready to be published um, yeah. with a little bit of cleanup, um, they said on like on a few of them. Obviously, most of them had more than that, but that's true of professional freelance submissions. Need. Oh, you, of course. More than more than a little bit of cleanup they need um you know so a little bit of reconcepting too and like a few areas that you nudge around and that's that's a good that's a good submission from a strong professional freelancer where you're like this is awesome i need to fix this and this and this and this and this but one of the judges told me is like this is almost there everything that would be changed would be minor so i think that that one won gold um because it was just really really solid mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there were some, uh, of course, that were like very confusing what's going on here, but those were few and far between. Most of them were very workable. Uh, I remember in a lot of the judging notes, it was like, this seems really confusing. I would have probably done this instead, or I would have gone a different direction to get that same flavor or idea across without like complicated math or weird mechanics. And you could just simplify the mechanics and still have as much or more efficacy at the table. Um, and there was just a lot of ones that really just needed, like, it was like, oh, this is a super good idea, but it needs a better approach. And a few that were like, this is a really cool monster, but not enough, like, not enough 
flavor, not enough storytelling in the creature itself, but mostly it was just really neat ideas and, and like a lot of execution that was anywhere between, you know, 70 to 90% there and just depending on how the dice landed. I was interested to go through and see like my score, like how I scored things versus the average judge's score. Like where I went above things and where I went below things. I think that the average judge score that only judges can see, if I recall yeah. correctly, um, has broken. <laughs> okay. And um, oh. it used to be correct before the, the monsters were chosen. So the fact that it's broken doesn't matter other than when you're comparing it. Um, because, oh, okay. Um, some of the judge score, it, it seems to me that like one of the judge scores is left out on some of them because I've seen oh, ones weird. that have four judges and it says the average is like something 0.3333. Which is impossible. Which clearly is a multiple of three judges yeah. or wouldn't have come out to that. Yeah. And then I looked and I saw, oh yeah, this is this is the what the score is with mine removed. Uh, even though previously I had showed it the average with mine included. So there you have that is that is really not your RPG for superstar for, theories for and conspiracy theories abound now. It, it it doesn't matter because it happened after the winners yeah. were selected, but sure. um Well, I will is, stop looking at that. But us judges, I mean you can, it just um there may be one of the other judges who wasn't included in the average. Okay. So go to the one where it just shows all the judges' scores if you can, and then you can you can compare to each one individually, I guess. Anyway. Mark, <laughs> um, I don't know if you can speak to this yet, but do you know it, what the plan is to, to put these all into a book in the future? Yes. Um, the plan to put them into a book is Battle Zoo Bestiary Strange and Unusual. Ooh. So dun, dun, um, just, like Battle, just like RPG Superstar 2020 was in Battle Zoo Bestiary, RPG Superstar 2021, Strange and Unusual, will be in Battles of Bestiary, Strange and Unusual. And we have mentioned, um, actually, if you go on uh, oh, no. RPGSuperstar.com, um, I know I've said it like a million times at this point, but um, the first thing you see when you go up there is actually a picture of the Chiralis and then like a little, a little short thing that I wrote, which includes that information, Luis. So we are, we okay. are allowed to say it, which is that um, it is going to come out and it's going to have the monsters from this contest, which I'm going to work to develop. It's going to have some new, um, new cool stuff that's in there, more imbued properties from monster parts and more. So um, cool. that will be something that comes out. And I'm sure you won't be super shocked if it had a Kickstarter or something like that since the last one did. But okay. it currently doesn't. Well, the the site says look forward to RPG Superstar 2022 if you miss 2021. So you know, get the the perfect time to maybe look yeah. over these monsters and hopefully learn a little bit in, in preparation mm -hmm. for for the. It's going to start sooner than you think, unless you think it's going to start very soon. In which case, it starts around when you think, oh because <laughs> if you remember, RPG Superstar 2021 <laughs> started like last year but only like a few months later than we currently are at because there's a lot of time to submit your monsters and then there's time for the judging round and then everything else so like it's getting close it's an endless cycle of monsters is essentially what we're <laughs> yeah. very well, cool very congrats cool. to everyone that, that uh, won in the contest yes mm -hmm. and even if you didn't win if you even made it to the final round with the judges that was substantially harder than winning copper last year was oh very cool that's okay, how cool. much harder it got this year to get in because of how strong the uh, submissions got and how many more submissions there were is that um there if you if you calculate it as percentage of total submissions that made it 
the number that made it to the judges round at all this year was a higher percentage or, or so it was a lower percentage of the total submissions than the, the number that got copper or above last year so congratulations really to everybody even if you submitted it all and didn't make it to there just for you know getting yeah. over that fear mm -hmm. and imposter syndrome and doing it and submitting yeah, the more you do this, the easier it becomes, the the easier it is to create you know, like better ideas and get used to the formatting. I remember I wrote some monsters for the Game Mastery Guide, uh, some of the, not monsters, uh, NPCs, mm -hmm. and they were terrible. I will just tell you now, they were not good uh, because it's a new system. We're still trying to figure out, am I allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do that? It was um, not any of the freelancers' fault on those NPCs. Yeah. yeah, it was just like a lot of, oh, I mean, no, no, it wasn't our fault. It was just a lot of like, I don't I don't know how this works. Yeah. Uh, but the more you do it, the more you see monsters and the more you start studying them, you, you sort of see the anatomy of a monster and how it works. And of course, just playing the game and being like, oh, I see it does this aura that like looks like it only hurts you a little bit, but really hurts you a bunch because it does this other thing. You're like, oh, that's really, that's really cool. And so the more you play and the more you look at these, the more you'll figure out uh, the intricacies of monster creation and mechanics and how they all sort of fit together. Uh, and just also exercising that creativity in creating them of coming up with interesting ideas. You can come up with congealed laughter or uh, <laughs> the negative space left by a, a vampire reflection that's not there as a monster. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it also is kind of like you mentioned, more of a, a level play, playing field for anyone wanting to jump in on monster creation because it's a new system. Uh, if you think back to first edition, a lot of the techniques from 3.5 and third edition kind of still apply to Pathfinder monsters. So there, there, there were people that had 10 years of experience, but here, yeah. everyone kind of started off on the same foot for the most part. Uh, and that's still kind of true. I mean, we're three years into Pathfinder second edition at this point, but that that's still pretty early, uh, all things considered into the life of an RPG um yeah. so still an opportunity to, to get get those skills brushed up and then and, and try for next year yeah. yeah i mean i consider everyone who's been playing since since the game released to be like pretty well skilled at, at, at having experience from pathfinder second now especially compared to like vanessa was saying and it totally wasn't your fault or anyone's yeah. it was it was honestly our fault for going to like external freelancers who didn't have access to all of the materials instead of trying mm. to handle it ourselves it was just it was a tricky situation and thank you for even being willing to try <laughs> honestly no it's, it's fine I, I i mean i wrote stuff for i think bestiary 2 i can't remember if i did bestiary 1 but like every single time i've done it it's gotten better and i'm now at the point where uh, i can come up with a monster npc concept and figure out oh this is exactly how i would do it because um, you just you read enough of them you do enough of them that you're like oh i, I kind of know what it needs to to be a good functional creature on the board and not get tripped up by that one cool trick every pc uses or you know something like that so. and with top-down design you can actually learn it well enough that you can just build it as you go eventually and by you i mean somebody who has a lot of experience like i i can yeah. and i bet some of our freelancers can do this and it's a skill a gm who's run enough can probably do too where yeah. as you need it you just suddenly build the creature the moment the pcs are like no we are going to attack that guard captain and they're completely the wrong level for the guard captain from game mastery guy but you just build a guard <laughs> captain sure. on the fly or something like that because yeah. some of the principles you learn when competing in this contest too will be principles that can help you 
just make monsters anytime. Like in on Arcane Mark channel, which is the channel I'm on with um, Linda's Eyes Palmer, we do a build a monster workshop where like in an hour or less, we build a monster. And the reason it takes that long even is because we let chat vote for the monster and the voting is like the majority of the time and discussing about it. So like you can build a monster real fast if you learn how to do it. It's just, it's a new skill and people are learning. Mm -hmm. So um, let's move on to our next piece of news here. Mm -hmm. uh, Paizo's actually part of two different Humble Bundles at the moment. Um, the first one is a very big bundle that is actually in, looking to raise money in support uh, of, it's called the, the Stand With Ukraine Bundle, I guess. That, that tells you more than, than anything else you need to know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an enormous bundle featuring lots of, of game studios uh, and, and you, know, you can pay minimum of $40 to get yourself dozens of uh, so video much games. Stuff. It's like thousands of dollars worth and um, all of it goes to Ukraine, unlike normal yeah. for Humble Bundle. I thought it was cool that when I got the preview image of that bundle from a Humble Bundle, like they sent me an ad because I do some Humble Bundles. Um, the Pathfinder art was like one of the five preview images that they mm -hmm. showed of the bundle, yeah. which was given how many things are in it, that's actually a pretty cool spot to be. Yeah, so, it's pretty cool but yeah there's so much stuff in there you're gonna find a, something that you really enjoy and also good cause yeah in addition to video games there's comics there's books there's other software like um game maker studios in there the rpg makers in there uh, and of course uh the pds for both the uh, pathfinder 2e and starfinder core rulebooks are, are part of the bundle uh, if you already have them, you know, it's still a, a worthy bundle of helping out. You get a lot of cool stuff. You can just give your code for the PDFs to, to someone else uh, out there. Uh, there's just so much stuff in here. I, I've seen people giving some of the codes yeah. on Reddit and other places, and that's really yeah. kind. Yeah. Um, Para, I'm sure, would love that there's 3D uh, files for printing <laughs> minis and, and <laughs> terrain and yes, uh, different things like that. So that's a great bundle to to check out. So far, it's According to the page, has raised uh, over 11.6 million Jeez. charity encounters. It was 5.5 .5 when I checked it a few days ago. That's yeah, it's just maybe last up. week. As yeah. of this moment, it has a little over three days left. So still have time okay. to check it out. Uh, the oh. other bundle I was referring to is the Pathfinder First Edition Character Options Bundle, which yeah. is, that one's interesting. you know it. Uh, a bunch of books from from first edition. It, it's a lot of player companions uh, and, and campaign setting books. Uh, covers things like the Dirty Tactics Toolbox, or the Armor Ma Master Armor Master's Handbook, or Monster Summoner's Handbook, or Giant Hunter's Handbook. All of which are books I wrote for. <laughs> I think wait, is one of those the, the first book that you wrote for? The very first book I wrote for was, yes, Giant Hunter's Handbook. And uh, Monster Summoner's Handbook is the first book Linda wrote for. So there oh, you go. Cool. So you can get a lot of Paizo first from that. And can't you get a physical um, Inner Sea World Guide? Not to make myself unstable, but Inner Sea World Guide is just a really <laughs> useful book. Yes, it's a great that book. I have under my computer right now to... Are you uh, using it as a booster seat? I think he's using it to prop up the, the computer. Yes, it's a classic oh. tradition of inner sea world guides around the world to just be brought with you anywhere, whether it be Gen Con or um, your own living room. Yeah, you can get a, a physical copy of the inner sea world guide, which is a great um, source for setting information. And 
for the most part, is still relevant uh, for Pathfinder, even in the days of second edition. Does it uh, come with the map? It comes with a map. Yeah, it comes out with yeah. a little fold-out map. Buy it. That is the best thing. Yeah. The map totally is the best. Does. The map won't have Oprak or the Gravelands or Vidrian. No. But, but for the is, most is part, is it the new map or is it the NRC Raygon map that has like the EI, like the classic typo one? Um, I, I think <laughs> I don't remember which is okay. the one that comes with the NRC World Guide, but it's because definitely that's, still, that's like a map. rare one that it, has that that has that on it. So you might it's a slightly outdated map. It's yeah, fine. In, in addition to the the player companions, you're getting things like Adventures Guide, you're getting uh, Mythic Adventures, Occult Adventures, pretty much all the the greats uh advanced class guide a core rule book pdf <laughs> um there, there's a lot of good stuff uh in here and that you can um go back and play first edition grab a lot of cool stuff including stuff that i'm sure we all contributed to um and the some of these books are even ones i developed you know there, there's um uh cool uh, heroes of galarian is one in particular that's kind of our first taste of going around the world with player companion stuff so a lot of cool stuff so Even lots if you're of great a ways to... second player i feel like there's enough in here with the amount of discount mm -hmm. you're getting to bring you lore and other yeah. like tidbits that you can use because the adventures line has a lot of things that you yeah. can use adventures like, guide has lots of faction information yeah is, is still applicable in a lot of and player companions are pretty rule heavy, but they usually have some lore in there. But mm -hmm. still, like Intercity World Guide, of course, um, it's it's out of deep just because it's about multiple years ago in the settings history. But it is very recent in the settings history, so yeah. it still has a lot of information, and it is like twice as long as Lost Omens World Guide, so it goes into more detail in some areas. Yeah, and if you happen to pick up Lost Omens World Guide, and then you know now you have all the information you would ever want for the whole setting at that point. Get, get all the updates with, with the 2e world guide so that is the bundles uh another big thing is uh goblin firefight is coming yay oh goblin, firework goblin fight, fireworks fight? firework fight fireworks yeah. fight very uh, cool. goblin firefight could be a good game too that would be fun too that's the that's the starfinder reskinned version or that's, <laughs> that's the inverse that's like the goblins yeah. have to come clean up after the goblin firework fight all right well no no or or yeah dicey goblin firefighters but if the yeah. starfinder one Vanessa, you're gonna have to make like you're gonna have to make custom starfinder characters for goblin fireworks fight now to in honor of goblin firefight <laughs> goblin uh, firefight goblin Very firework good. fight is coming out with this month's releases it's scheduled awesome. you know slated for march 30th so just a a little bit from now, I think it'll be out by the time the next episode of No Direction is happening. So uh, the, the cool. premise is your goblins running around Sandpoint, stealing fireworks and, and blowing them up. So it, it's <laughs> a board game. It's not, you know, in addition to the Pathfinder rules and anything. Yeah. It's, it's its own standalone game. Uh, it's super cool. light. It's quick. It's easy. Yeah. And if you are at a point where you're willing to stick your hand into a bag that other people have been sticking their hands into... I think that's the one thing. If you are, <laughs> you should absolutely check it out like right away. If you are, if you like, like quick, easy kind of fun party games that you can, you know, teach to your, your kids or just someone who's not into like super heavy Euro games or things like that, because you can pick it up in like a minute and then just start playing. It's all about just stealing fireworks from other people's bags <laughs> and taking fireworks and trying to get the most fireworks. That's funny. Yeah. 
So another thing going on here is the, the last days of the Cobalt Horde sale on the Paizo site, which is just a lot of stuff's on sale at paizo.com. <laughs> you can go check it out. That, that includes, you know, dice and minis. Uh, one of the big things that they keep mentioning is that you can get complete display sets for Pathfinder battles, the, the, the pre-painted plastic minis. Uh, so if you want to get a bunch of minis, kind of cheap. You can go check out the Cobalt Horde sale, which is uh, That's pretty cool, pretty fun. Awesome. Um, and I think finally, the last little bit, uh, Pies Live is coming back. Uh, Pies Live is this week mm. on Friday. Uh, according oh, to this, it's talking about goblin adventures and and um, mammoth lore, the quest for the frozen flame stuff. So, you know, go check it out. Fridays at four. Could be dinosaur be... forts in there. You never could know. be dinosaur forts. Could yeah. be Friday the 25th. So, yeah. there you All go. Right. I guess my other thing is that, um, Battle Zoo Ancestries Dragons is not out quite yet, but it is coming out very, very soon. It, sh- it should be by the end of March. So if you want to play a dragon as your character, you can go to battlezoo.com. It is a hardcover book that um, I will, I'll try to pitch it to you by telling you how little content is in it. It's a, like a, a round of 128 page book. The only things that are in it are an ancestry and two archetypes, plus information <laughs> about dragons. And that just tells you how much is in the ancestry, which has 45 wow. heritages and the archetypes. Like they're they're huge, they're comprehensive, and they have everything you need to play a dragon. It's not like padded up with like, oh, I guess these are some dragon related items that dragons like. It's just like it's all like primo dragon content. So that's coming. That's very cool. And I think you mentioned to me that it's something that you had been trying to or wanting to write. Uh, for a very long time is yes. playable dragon. So I'm sure it's got since the beginning of when when PF2 came out, like after it came out, I was sitting at home and I thought to myself, what would I do if I actually had enough money to order art without being worried that I'm gonna lose thousands of dollars and not sell anything? And I thought <laughs> that what I would do is make an ed- dragon ancestry. But then I didn't have the wherewithal to order thousands of dollars of art and worry that I would lose money on it. So I didn't do that. And so eventually I was working on Battle Zoo Bestiary, the first one from RPG Superstar 2020, doing the, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't work on developing the monsters. Patrick Greeny did all of those, but I was doing the monster part system in the back. And um, Stephen Glicker was like, we can do some other books after this, maybe for the next Kickstarter. What should we do? And I was like, maybe like a little PDF about dragons. We could do chromatic and maybe also metallic in the original release and it could be like 20 pages and then we could put out expansions with different types of dragons he's like he just kept expanding it and now it has 45 types of dragons and Jeez. is a hardcover book and oh my it went out in the same kickstarter as battle zoo bestiary so a lot of things happened that changed and now i'm working for at that time i was working for paizo right so mm-hmm. a lot of things changed between now and then but Luis is right that it has always been the product that I thought was a very, very strong product and a very, very cool product. And so I'm happy because it turns out that Roll for Combat does have the money to order great dragon art from Firat Solhan, who draws a lot of things for Pathfinder 2 uh, as well. So um, it's going to be great. Very cool. And when did, the, when did you say those rules are available? So they're coming out, but we're hoping by the end of March, and I think okay. it will be, because we are in final layout for um, one of the two sections of the book, the other of which is completely laid out in copy fit. So we just need to finish laying that out, then copy fit it, 
and then it'll be done. So I don't know when that will be exactly, but it should sure. be soon within the next few weeks. Soon. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Is there any other news items we need to cover? I think that's all <laughs> I could find for now. I have one uh, shout out. Dustin Knight asked us to shout out for uh, the Brewmasters Compendium Competition Round 1. Uh, this is a, a competition going on to basically see if you can make the best homebrew, right? The best setting, the best, the best uh, cleric domains, all the fun stuff. So uh, go check it out. Uh, there's a whole thread about it on Reddit. Uh, it is posted in the chat. Uh, speaking of chat, uh, if you want to watch us live and ask us questions and do stuff, we are live every other Monday at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That is 6 p.m. Pacific. And uh, you can come and join our chat on twitch.tv slash no direction and, uh, and, and be part of the show, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by asking questions and we will respond to them and, and shout them out, uh, especially like really part good of the juicy show. ones. I do think, questions. I mean, I can't drag a chatter onto the screen yet. I'm still working on that, but. Well, I think that the trick is to be like a magician where you have like someone who's already sort of part of the network hiding in oh, the audience. And right. then you select them as a quote volunteer and then they suddenly appear on the screen. And they just and suddenly like, appear like with magic. a secret Zoom link sent to them. Yes, <laughs> like magic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you should definitely come check us out uh, every other Monday, 9 p.m. Uh, and uh, or, or just listen to this delicious podcast. The other thing that's wonderful is after the show, we do the private sanctum uh, the, for the, our patrons. So you can check us out on patreon.com, search for No Direction, and uh, you can get a direct link to us after the show where we basically just hang out and dish. So if you want to hang out and talk with us after the show, it is like the VIP backstage pass, okay? Uh, it's pretty darn cool and you should absolutely do it. Uh, so I hope to see you there. Um, I don't know if there's anything else y'all wanted to cover before I cut off the stream and say that we're done for the night. That sounds good uh, to me. I mean, I have one Sweet. little shout out. Not, not Please a big do. Thing. Please uh, do. There is a fan, a German fan. I can't track down their name, unfortunately, because their, their <sighs> Twitter handle and their blog is all just like, <laughs> oh, Jutembe Deutsch. And so, yeah, so the Jutembe Juice um so there is uh, a little sidebar that i oh, think came, is, yes. came about uh the way a lot of sidebars and goofy things happen in the lost omens line is that just in our, our group chats at work uh mark and and eleanor and then james case and uh abby cool and i all just had like this big group chat um and i think we joked about like oh calling something to juice i don't even know how it all came about but soon enough it made its way into Lost Omens Wangi Expanse as a little sidebar talking about students at the Magambia enjoying this alcoholic beverage, which includes dates and ginger that they call Jatembe juice. And wouldn't you know it, uh, a German fan took the time to figure out what's a good drink we could make with like a with good dates. ratio of those yeah. things so they, they yeah. have a, a drink that includes rum and dates and ginger so and, and it, it's for making like a whole bottle at once though so yeah. be advised <laughs> yes you don't want to drink all of this this is to share with all of your your academic mates yes you have enough for all 10 of your magic warriors yes exactly, exactly. yes uh but <laughs> so it's, please it's drink just responsibly you know, I, seeing fans do this kind of stuff all the time is, is great you know seeing fan art seeing um all, all the different things but don't always expect that like someone's gonna make the alcoholic beverage you put in as a kind of a joke <laughs> in the sidebar 
but it, it worked out and it's great. So I think that will go oh. alongside um, the chocolate drink that goes in, in, in Mongi Expanse and the barbecue rub that goes with it. So you can have a whole <laughs> slew of, of Mongi That's themed. Right. You've got a meal, you've got dessert, <laughs> and you've got an alcoholic beverage. So, Perfect. Yeah, fun thing to check out. All right, great. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on episode 272 of No Direction. Uh, if you need to find the path, you need no direction. <laughs>